Welcome back to the Ride Boundless Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Ride Clean. Ride Clean is the simple and easy way of keeping your motorcycle and car clean. Simply shake, spray, and wipe. Get a mirror-like finish. UV protection made in America, bottled in America. Uh, Check them out at rideclean.co. Use promo code RBPODCAST for 25% off. Plus, they're including a 2-ounce bottle with the purchase of a 16-ounce or a 32-ounce Free shipping and microfibers, satisfaction guaranteed. You'll love the product. That's rideclean.co, uh, promo code RB podcast. Super exciting episode. Let me, let me give you the appropriate introduction. Uh, it goes like this. Founded by Marcelo Dolfo in 1997, Dolfo Winery sits in the hills of Southern California's Temecula Valley. This family-owned and operated winery produces many award-winning wines and has earned a stellar reputation in the regions of Malbecs, Zinfandels, Cabernets, Savions, and more. I hope I pronounced that right. I will see them later this week and we'll know. I checked out the winery. They got wine, food, the best chimichurri I've ever had in my life. I got to sit down with Marcelo and his son, Damien, and get to hear the backstory of how they put this all together, where the passion of motorcycles came from, um, the American dream before even coming to America. So without further ado, let me get this started right now. Thank you guys for having me here. Such a beautiful place. Um, how long How long has this location been here? About 21 years. 21 years? And if you get a little closer. 21 years? Then yeah. you started in this city? Or you, did you have a location before this? Because I see the signs. The company's been around since uh, 1951, 52? Well, I think that was the, the uh, second generation decided to um, honor my birth year. So oh, nice. <laughs> I guess I've been around since <laughs> 1951. 1951. But uh, I purchased the uh, land in... Uh, if you can come a little closer, I, I apologize. In 1997. Okay. And the rest is just history. It's been up and down, but mostly great. Now, before we talk about how, how you ended up here and how you purchased the place and, and it started your company... Uh, you're not originally from Te- Temecula, are you? No, I was born in South America, Argentina, and uh, Buenos Aires. No, Central Argentina, oh, Central. Cordoba. Cordoba. And I emigrated here in 1975. Nice. Actually, May 25th. That's a, a day away from my birthday, there May 26. But a few years later. <laughs> yes. Just a few years later. And then what, what brought you in that time to the United States? Was it, well, did you come with I, your family or you did it by yourself? No, no I did. Um, came with my future wife, which is the mother of my three kids. And uh, we got married in Hollywood. Um, and then I began working with cars. Uh, actually, the first job was a little fun story because uh, they... Um, I knew someone and they asked me to uh, go sell photographic coupons for a dollar. 
I keep the dollar. Yeah. Right. I sell you like a piece of paper. You give me a dollar, and then you come to the uh, studio yeah. and get uh, one free picture. So it was a gimmick to sell them to come into the studio and then sell them a big package. Up, upsell them, yeah. Right. And I almost got eaten by a Doberman because I was <laughs> walking in Van Nuys back uh, in the 70s. And, you know, this, this dog almost eat me alive. So I decided that it wasn't a job for me. And I used all my, my only pair of shoes that I had. They were gone. Yeah. And so it wasn't. So it got to the point where he got to your shoes. No, no. Uh, oh, just because I walk around for so much. I mean, for like two weeks, you know, I would just go up and down the street, knocking door to door. And you were wearing out your shoes. So I decided that it wasn't for me. So then I found uh, another friend who took me to a body shop in Hollywood. And I got hired the next day to um, to start doing repairs along with uh, a guy who took me with him because he wanted to sell me the toolbox because he was retiring. Yeah. And uh, he kept the first 15 days check and the toolbox. Really? So welcome <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So, but I recovered. But but uh, but but just to go back to the original question, what what made you leave Argentina and and come out here? Was it because you planned to get married and then you decided to stay, or was it you said I have to? My the economy's bad. Like what 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 is the backstory? Like how how are you? Well, it's a combination of uh, many things. Um, I was very ambitious, and uh, Argentina, as always, uh, was going through a very serious crisis. The, As always, the inflation was, um, it's like a, in the history books, because I think it was like 800%. And the prices were altered daily yeah. of all the goods. And I was doing like uh, metal canopies, canopies for farm or, uh, you know, carport on my own. And... They put me out of business. I couldn't. I couldn't give you an estimate today and do the job a week later, and lose. Because prices would fluctuate. Oh yeah, nothing was consistent. Daily. Wow. It was going. Not even weekly or no, monthly. No, no, daily. 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 So uh, I, uh, I had this opportunity, and I just. You found the the closest beautiful woman and said, "Hey." Oh, definitely. Let's she go. Was, Gorgeous, still gorgeous woman, and uh, what did you what did you tell her to convince her? Like, no, well, she was living here, so that was like a oh. already a step. Nice, yeah. Okay, so, so purpose, yeah. So I landed in Hollywood, and not knowing one word of English, and uh, I just went out and tried to survive at the beginning, and little by little, I. I was fascinated by the cars, so I began to look for cars that needed some repairs, and I started selling it little by little, so one you, at a time. So you would find them, fix them, flip them. Right. You started making money at this On the way. street. Yeah. So I got to a point where there was a full-time job, Yeah. and we moved to... 
Costa Mesa. Right. And I kept doing it in a large scale until uh, my garage was a shop and then the apartment complex has some parking spaces. So one day I saw one of those big Dodge <laughs> Polada, green in color, yeah. coming down the alley, and it was a city inspector. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he goes... What's going on here? Yeah. Are those cars yours? Yes, sir. Very proud. Okay. Want to buy one? This is residential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that forced me to um, do the second move, which um, uh, a brother-in-law was a doctor, and he wanted to quit. So he uh, proposed me to open a used car lot, so sales. And so yeah. we did, we did. And, and was it just sales, or you guys were doing repairs and sales? Well, no, it was mostly sales, but yeah. I... You repaired your own cars, but you... But were, I, used, yeah. I used to do some repairs, too. Yeah. Uh, not in a big scale, until one day I bought, uh, like, a... Remember the Chevy Chevette, which was a very disposable car with a hard front end hit. So I decided to repair the car yeah. to sell it. But my partner, uh, my partner says that uh, my labor was part of being partnered. Right. So the, we split the profit 50-50 uh, and I thought it was unfair. So we split. Yeah. In kind of a bad terms, but uh, we split. Most partnerships. And uh, that way. That was good because um, I moved across the street with a uh, bigger car lot. And by then, you know, we were selling two or three million dollars a year. So it was, it was a very interesting business. But the financing of the cars, because our clientele were mostly illegal people. It was difficult, yeah. So, but we survived with it uh, really well. I, I got a question. Um, yeah, I got a question. Just curiosity: the prices of cars back then, the average price to now, how how big of a difference was it? Oh, and what year are we talking about? Well, that was probably in the early eighties. Yeah, and. Um, I don't know. I will buy a Chevy Camaro for eighteen hundred dollars. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's a, that's a that's bars on a motorcycle right. today, and uh, and retail for thirty five. Yeah, and then what was it? So banks were offering financing, or you would do in house financing? Well, fifty fifty. Fifty fifty. The finance that I was doing through the bank, I needed to guarantee it, so it was practically a loan. Yeah. So. Uh, I repossess a few cars. And then you get to resell it again, right? Yeah, but... When you found it. I would repossess it in the middle of the night. Yeah. And it was a very scary moment. Sometimes we call the cop for a backup. Yeah. Until one night, I repossessed the Chevy Monte Carlo. I remember, 72 was in the driveway. And the owner came out. And I said, I, I tell you, I did, was... Did he a, just give you the key and goes, here you go. No, I had an extra <laughs> key, but when he find out that the yeah. car was pulling out of the driveway, the guy came out of the house fast. Yeah. And uh, I took off, but uh, I I thought that it was like a, a sign of a close call because you, practically you're stealing it and I could have got shot. Santa yeah. Ana wasn't, you know, 
the best uh, safe what place. Was the crime crime rate? No, no, actually, no. But uh, you know, the neighborhoods were. Yeah, of course. So and we, the clientele you're dealing with, I imagine, was like people that couldn't buy a new car, right? Yes. So you you were dealing with higher risk. Some of them, yes, yes, totally. Yeah. So, so then we move on. My brother um, came to live with us, and we opened a repair detail shop. Yeah. We couldn't get a license for our body shop, so we began to do repairs and sales. So we buy cars that need some repairs and take it to the car lot and sell it. And we did really well until we moved to another location, and then we moved to a new building. Did you move the whole business, or was this a second location? Well, no, no, we moved the business. Uh, the city of Santa Ana was um, um, trying to um, uh, widen the street, so they uh, offer us some compensation to relocate. Nice. So we did to a second nice. It was a bigger place, but uh, we had a used car lot in the front and a repair shop on the back. Yeah. And and then we built the new shop also in 1985, I think. Okay. And that was a, a very... The, the, the first few years was a very rewarding business until... Uh, the insurance companies um, begin to look for more profit, and it become really stressful. Very there, stressful. There, there was a, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but there was a big change of, of the insurance companies, right? And at first, it was like they were really trying to do coverage, and then, like you said, then they started wanting to profit more, and there was more competition between insurance companies, and they didn't want to pay. Well, the, the worst part was uh, when the. Um, big uh, flow of um, Taiwanese parts show up, um, replacement parts, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because uh, the insurance company would call, would call them like, kind, and quality. LKQ. Like, kind, and right. Like, it's a very quality. famous uh, Which was the opposite letters and, uh, and the industry of the body shop, LKQ. So it was impossible to make them fit. Yeah. And also, I mean, they were like no room to make any money. So the insurance company began really acting very, um, I don't know, greedy and put a lot of body shop out of business. Yeah. It made it difficult. Yeah. What did, what did you do afterwards? Well, in 03, I had a, a health issue and I decided that that was it. So I told my brother that I was leaving the shop. Yeah. And by then, I already had the vineyard already producing. So... Wh which vineyard? What are you talking about? Oh, well, <laughs> in 97, I purchased this. Uh, and I mean, in 2007? No, 97. I'm sorry. 97, I, I, I purchased this land <clears throat> and planted a vineyard. Nice. As I was working in the body shop. So I commuted. So the body shop was in what city again? Santa Ana. Santa Ana. And then you came out to Temecula and bought some land. Right. Which prices were 
was it fair price back then or no it was it prices? was high it was high it was still high for the area yeah but nothing compared to now i think it's probably yeah double a little more probably even more so but it was uh another carrot in front of me to uh to grab so i i was very uh dedicated to it, my passion was always farming. Yeah. And so it was like a hobby slash so passion. So I, I wanted to have a tractor and a piece of land after I decided that. I, lo- I, I love that statement. I wanted a tractor and a piece of land. <laughs> yeah. It was, I, yeah, was, of course. It, I was like fascinated by going back to what my childhood was. Yeah. So. Did you ride tractors when in your childhood? Oh, yeah. So you were on farms? We, I was born in a farm. You were born in a farm. Yeah, that's what that's what I wanted uh, to hear. That's what I wanted to see. So you grew up, on, you were born in a farm, grew up on a farm, and th- this was your life. That was our life. And yeah. when you came here, that was missing. Well, uh, yes, you made yes, it. because uh, you miss uh, some things that are very difficult to describe. Yeah, you know, the air, the smell, the. the, the Pure air, the, 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 to see the fields when they grow, that green color, my dog, my horse. There were, there were a lot of things that uh, for, a, for, a, for a kid um, growing in, a, in an area with no electricity, no running water. Yeah. Uh, it was pure... Nature. Nature. And... I miss that, so I try to kind of have a good memories of what I used to do compared to how life is in here, right? Which was all busy and money and headaches and yeah. being in the middle of the night repoing cars. Yeah. yeah, you wanted the simple things in life. So this this is very also rewarding but very challenging. Yeah, and but it's priceless. It is right now because I got the blessing of having the new administration handling everything, which are my three kids. Yeah. They all work together here, and and so far it's been very good, great actually. But uh, if if I'm not mistaken, you originally did this privately. You didn't think this was going to be a business, right? Well, yes. Uh, <clears throat> I started making wine with them. Uh, with the kids in in our home in Lake Forest, yeah, and it got to a point that after the um, third harvest, I thought that I was ready to move on. I thought that I go, I got this, yeah, and um, is that when I decided to to buy this piece of land? So you had already started as a hobby in your home, making wine, making wine, and then you said, you know what? Now I'm missing the land and the tractor. Well, I was a member of the Orange County Wine Society. Yeah. And a beautiful group of people. And they, they were all homemade winemakers. Yeah. So we used the shop as a facility and the car wash to process uh, the grapes. And then we will take our wines to the Orange County Fair for a homemade winemaking competition. Yeah. And in, in uh, I think it was 96, I got um, 
silver medal in one of my wines. Nice. So that you were just messing around at home <laughs> and you're like, yeah, try this out. And you got silver. That gave me more confidence. And then, um, here we go. First harvest was 2002. Also, surprisingly, because uh, they yield a lot of grapes, which I didn't expect. Right. So there were more product to process than than we were prepared to. Right. So then 2003, we, I was more prepared. I bought some tanks. I began to take it ser- more seriously because uh, it wasn't a lot more grapes and juice and wine that I can probably drink or give away. I, I didn't know that uh, the, the vines produce so much. Right. So we began to make, in, to make our wine here uh, already with the name and pull a license to, to produce wine. Yeah. But uh, forgot to read the fine printing and we got shut down in 05, I think. Yeah. Was it 05? Somewhere in there, 05, 06. And uh, we were already in our way, almost a very popular winery. Yeah. He, he's downplaying it. We were slinging wine out of a four-car garage, and it was it was a it was good, booming. It was a good time. It was just him and I in this four-car garage. How old uh, were you at the time? Oh, I was in college by that time. So my timeline's a little bit different, right? So oh three, he has the heart attack uh, on his Ducati at the racetrack. That he left that part out, but yeah, I was gonna say that's was, like the most was, important part, right yeah, there. Dude, I mean, Ducati racetrack, like what? Yeah, this is a motorcycle which I'm gonna podcast. get into. Too. We haven't even talked about the bikes. You yet, guys ride? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So hi everybody, I'm Damien. Um, so, but uh, the oh three, he has the heart attack, and so I. It was my first year. Well, in, in 03, he's on his Ducati in a racetrack. Well, was I he had, racing at the time? Or it was, was a track day. Was it before or after he got, he got on? Uh, was it before or after? During. During. Did you crash? No, no, no. I take uh, like... Uh, wait, wait. Let's, let, let's slow this down. So, yeah. <laughs> let's slow this down. Come on, Chico. Before, like, like, all right. So, you go to the racetrack. You yes. take your Ducati. Your, I knew. Your, I said... One and a half years old. What kind of Ducati? It's a 900 SS, which I still have. Which you still have. Yes. Okay, you got it. Okay, so you went to the badass track because you're a badass with your badass track suit and your badass helmet, and then you, you went around the track, and then what, what happened? I mean... No, well, I, I got up with a very um, interesting chest pain. So you, was, so you woke up that morning with the chest pain. Right, and um, it was track day, so I go, you know what? Yeah, I don't I care. I may be anxious. It. Yeah, I'm, I'm right into that. So me and my buddy uh, went to the track, and I still have this pain, so I took some Tylenol. Let me get this a little closer. And um, I went out. The pain, the pain at, at the end of the turn one, at the end of the straightaway, I think was turn one to get into the infield, uh, the pain was like killing. And then the rest of the track... But when it when it's killing, what what did you feel? You felt well, like a heartburn. No, 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 no. It's like a, it's like an elephant sitting in your chest. It's like a pressure. It's horrible feeling. I took a Tylenol, went away. Yeah, I go out the second time, same scenario. I took more Tylenols, and so I survived. Yeah, 
So the next morning, I, I had a client who worked at a doctor's office. She came over for an estimate, and I mentioned my chest pain, and she instantly sent me to a cardiologist. And it was a blessing because I could have probably, you know, had a bad... Right. But um, instantly they decided that I needed a surgery, so Damien took me on a Monday... And so on, on the track, it was just you, you had these pains and you took Tylenol and that's what barely got you through. The next day they find out it's it's you're you're, you're having right. heart condition. Yes. So you went to surgery on, on that that next Monday and the track day was what, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Saturday. Yeah. So you went two days later. That's uh, OK. Quadruple bypass. Quadruple <laughs> they, they, they bypass. We took them in for an angiogram. They were just going to do the dye, you know, and see. Yeah. And then they said, uh, he's not leaving. And so then from there, we had to go into, like, it was a frenzy that day because we took him in for the angiogram. They told him that he's not leaving and that he's having surgery the next day or Wednesday that we're going to schedule the quad bypass. So it gave us one day to get the living will and everything set up in case he didn't make it out of surgery. And he was so hard. I'm sitting there and he's in ICU and giving me final instructions in case he doesn't make it out of surgery. Oh my God. Where, where he has things stashed and this guy, you know, you got to go see this guy, you got to go do this, you got to do this. And you know, I'm the only boy. So I was getting all the final, right. The final instructions in case he didn't make it out on the other side. Cause it was, that was a very real possibility at that time. I think you had over 90% blockage in two or three of them. So, and and random question, were you on the track that same day with him? No, no, I was in college and I hadn't started track daying yet. I think I'd, he had just started, uh, restoring bikes and, you know, we had always ridden as little kids and, but the, the restorations didn't start until right around that era when he started making wine, he started restoring bikes about the same time, but we started racing together a little bit later on. But we used to race carts. Yeah, we were big into go-kart like racing. go-karts? We began with carts. Every weekend we'd be at a racetrack, just him and I racing together. Well, I mean, describe the, the, the well, go-karts. You know, like, I was like a single fast. dad. I was a single dad, so I didn't have anybody to tell me, no, you can't go to the track or yeah. can't do this. We you can't take your kids there, right. yeah. So weekends was like... A, and, and and why why uh, you're a single dad? Why were you a single dad? The, the, it just didn't work out. I, I, I want to know. Well, no, my, it just didn't work the out. The mother and I we decided to part because things were not working for both of us. Yeah, we had your differences, and uh, so later on, uh, she took she took them to live with them. But a couple of years later, we make some different arrangements, and they come and live with me. Yeah. Awesome. So you so, had you had your kids, go karts, and you would take them out. And I was single. And you were single. So. And you owned the winery. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Sorry, miss. No, congratulations. That's awesome. So was, then you guys started off with go karts. So you were doing whatever you wanted with your kids. Practically, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a good feeling, huh? Well, it is because uh, they were they were my friends. Yeah. So we 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 did a lot of fun things together. Right. The four of us. Yeah, yeah, we all would. I mean, San Felipe, we'd, we'd go for a week or two weeks, and we all had a dirt bike. We all rode. We had a dune buggy, We, you know. And, and go-karts. Yeah, and then we raced go-karts, and my sister raced a couple times. She won the powder puff race. Her first race out, we threw in a go-kart, and she crushed everybody. That's so cool. Where do you, where do you race go-karts here? 
Adam's Kart Track. It's it's like iconic in the go-kart world. Adam's Kart Track in Riverside. It's been there since the 50s. Uh, family owned. It's it's. They say if you can win at Adams, you can win anywhere because it's it's, it's a very it's like very the OGs. difficult. Yeah, it's just it just has a lot of interesting corners. Um, has a couple hairpins. It has. How a couple, fast are you guys going on these? Like 45, 50 miles an hour? No, 60, 70, I oh, think. Oh, the straightaway, yes. And then, uh, then when we got into shifter carts, you know, you're you're hit. So this is not like the indoor. Uh, you know it's uh, that but on steroids on steroids right so i mean full full racing chassis i mean disc brakes what do one of those things cost oh now now racing a go-kart is i mean you need a budget i mean it's a serious thing when we were racing it was right before it got it picked up it was still serious i mean it was a hobbyist thing yeah it was i mean it was still expensive to run up front but I think right when we got out of it is when it got really expensive because nowadays they're changing out axles. Oh, they have now they they have telemetry. Yeah, so it's okay. like a it's a what, small what, formula car. Oh, telemetry. Yeah. yeah, so they can tell wheel speed. They can tell how many G's you're pulling in the corner. Throttle can, position. Yeah, so they can breaking, coach. Yeah, they can shit. coach oh, the no, driver no, no, on it's the fly. Just ridiculous. So the price is like 10, 15 times. Oh, it's more. like it's like rate. It's a it's. Full on. I mean, it's a pro series where there's, there's they race for money. I mean, it's there's sponsors and there's a national. We're actually friends with the guy who puts on the, what's called the super nationals. They get Formula One drivers to come race go karts. Whoa! We met Michael Schumacher at one of those races. We got nice. to hang with Schumacher, um, and uh, that was that was a treat to watch Schumacher race a go kart. And he was just they started so cool, man. Yeah, they started him in the back, and he was yeah. passing six to seven go-karts a lap and you have to imagine at that level the go-karts like from first place to last place they're separated by less than a second so you wow. got 20 or 30 go-karts on track separate, one screws no, up it's nose over. to tail yeah they're nose to tail racing and banging and, and you know and diving and, and are, are, are these things have like super bumpers all over the place no, or no these are like open race wheel. car it's open wheel they have like Man, I gotta look this up. Oh, this, no, yeah. the, the side part protects the, the the wheel is barely expo- exposed. The tops yeah. of the wheels are exposed. Yeah. So they flip. Yeah. They flip if they touch. You know. Any crazy flips you guys ever seen in person? Oh, I've seen him save himself on a flip by putting a hand down <laughs> and pushing himself back down. Yeah, like like all the way over. Yeah. And then caught himself with a hand, pushed himself back over Oof, and finished. 60 miles? And, well, Monza, I mean, it was a, he got clipped in the corner, so it tipped him, but he saved it and, and finished but the race. Everybody got hurt. Yeah, he was uh, upside down, and even today he can, he lost movement on his arm. On his arm. Yeah. That's very unfortunate. I know. But he did it in something he, he loved. I was, was right fine. behind him when it happened. Really? <laughs> I saw, I saw it. Yeah, they, had, they had changed. Well, they had the they had changed the berms at uh, Adams. They had repaved the track, and there's a section at Adams. I'm sure all the local people who've raced there are supermoto there. There's a supermoto class there now. Um, they they back is that the SoCal motor SoCal supermoto? Okay, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's an awesome class. If yeah, you I talked to did. Brian, I've had Brian. Yeah, on. Brian. So, um, but the back S's when we used to race there, you could pretty much hit all the berms, go straight through it. You know, so the S's were just, you were just floating over the berms. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd hit the last corner to the straightaway. Uh, so they repaved the track, and it was we had rented go-karts to go race, the three of us. And, uh, like, second practice session out, 
Gabe goes through the S's and just hits one of the new berms. And they were like ramps. Like they were just crazy. Full on. And it just sent him skyward straight up 90 degrees. Holy shit. That's crazy. So when he was coming back down, he put his arm out to catch himself. And his arm, you know, got backwards and it ripped a few ligaments in his arm. Man. Yeah, that, I, I stopped and, 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 and took the car off his body, you know, because he was under the, in the cart. Isn't, isn't that the first thing they tell you in a track? Don't stop and help anybody. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that rule number one? Yeah, but it's no, like no, a, know, he's I like know. a prodigal son for us. I you know, know, I so know. But that's he, still rule. He's like I know. Dad's prodigal <laughs> son. But I pull over a little bit and he got yeah. off the cart. And, no, and, and got, because the, the, the gas tank was dripping and, you know, it was probably... Um, any moment that, that's it, why it's it, rule number one because <laughs> you could have got like messed up no no i'm kidding I, I, i'm no. sure it made the, and, the world of a difference originally i thought it was damien because i was behind both of them so yeah we took off the so team. your son was beating you normally <laughs> of course he, you, you made him no he made him don't I, don't let him fool you he's fast yeah. no it was fine it was fine how much uh, you, you said you 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 helped them pull the cart off how much do these carts usually weigh like what, like two, three hundred pounds? No, man, one eighty, one sixty. Okay. Depends. Yeah. Yes. Man, and they go that fast. That must I be so much fun. Either, yeah. That it must is. be so much fun. It is. It's the most visceral thing you can drive. A shifter cart, one twenty-five at Adams, is visceral. It's manual. Oh, it's it's a sequential gearbox right next to the steering wheel. So it's cool. And it's that I mean you're pulling cool. three Gs through the corner. I mean it's they're stupid. Oh. It, it's I'm going to set up and look, it makes my, the hairy on uh, my hand bro, stand up. Dude, I, I swear to God, done a, it. a shifter card at Adam's track is your ribs. You end up with swollen ribs because, I mean, it just that's it, cool. It beats the hell out of you. But it's the fastest accelerating thing you could you could drive. And you shift like uh, 80 times a lap per minute. Holy <laughs> yeah, the lap the lap is a minute. The lap is a change. minute and you shift 80 times. Whoa. Down Whoa. shift and shift. It's yeah, yeah, of course. Constant. How many turns? I think it was at 13 turns at Adams, something like that, 13 or 16 or something like that. I don't, I don't know. We I haven't raced there in a long time, haven't counted. But I know it's in the teens for sure. That's there, amazing. There's a couple corners that are first gear turns, though. So you go like, you know. Yeah, you're, you're, you're flying through you're gears. You're flat out. You know, up and imagine down. a two-stroke 125, either a YZ or a CR 125. Oh, that sounds so you know, <laughs> with a big old pipe and the whole deal, and it and they just lucky you guys. Oh, they just scream! Great they, job! Yeah, there's nothing better. Great job. Okay, so now we're in 2003. He has this happen, and then in the business, you guys started wine, and you were slanging it out of the garage. He's downplaying it, but you're gonna tell me exactly what was happening. Well, I, it's just a different perspective, right? Like the um, um, we're picking up some feedback, huh? Yeah, I'm wondering. Hold on one second. Okay, we fixed that. So, um, so it was just 2003, and he had just come out of the heart attack. So he was, you know, from my perspective and, and from what I've heard, is that he was coming out here to work on the vineyard as, as therapy. Yeah. You know, he had a, a wild idea to play classical music for the vines. Um, and it actually now, it is therapeutic. When you work in the vineyard very early in the morning and you hear the classical music, and you got the hot air balloons coming up overhead. And oh my Temecula God. has a layer of fog. And especially in the growing season, we get this little marine layer. Uh, part, partly why it's a wine country in this. It's a very small valley of 
grapes here in Southern California. Um, and so it's totally therapeutic. And so the story that, as I see it, was he was here working on the vineyard as therapy, and people would drive by on the main road, see the vineyard and the house, because you can see it from Rancho California, which is the main drag. And uh, from the road, it kind of looks... You know, it's a, it's a ranch-style house. It kind of had a vineyard and it has some palm trees. So people would pull into the driveway and ask for wine tasting. And you'd have this guy saying, well, I'm not a winery. I make wine, though, and I could use a break. And he'd bring people into the kitchen and and then hang out and bootleg, bootleg some wine out of the kitchen, you know. The, the story, the way I tell it is if he could make some some money for a, some gas money because he was commuting in from Orange County yeah, by selling a bottle Mission of wine, accomplished, yeah. you know, his day was free. And then he started handing out his cell phone number. It took me years to, to get people to call the business number because he had given his cell phone number out to so many people. Yeah, they're like, we're not calling this business. Yeah, and so it'd be like <laughs> I'm nine. still getting calls. Um, <laughs> stop be, calling. Stop it, calling. It'd be nine o'clock at night and they'd call like, you know, and he'd answer, you know, and they'd ask him a wine club question. You, you loved know? it, huh? <laughs> you loved it. The beginning were beautiful, were beautiful, very intense. Yeah. Incredibly intense, but um, when we begin to see the results and and people um, respond to the wines that we were making, uh, then it was like seriously, we need to we need to really take this more. We need to get right. it to the next level. Dug our heels in a little bit. Hold but, on, but uh, before you get it to the next level, I'm sorry, I have a lot of random questions. When when you were coming here just as therapy and people were driving and they saw you and, and you were meeting a lot of people, right? What's more or less? More or less. Well, the neighbors and people that, um, what, what's the craziest people you ever met? What's the funniest or craziest thing you've ever seen during that time? No, well, or everything was pretty well, normal. Well, it was pretty normal up to the moment when, the, the word was out that we had a winery and limousine were coming over and it was oh, limousine. It was, yeah, what do you it mean? Was crazy. What do you mean? And back the tours, the the groups coming in tours. And they would just pull in without calling or anything? Yeah, they would just show up. Yeah. Group of eight, it ten was, it was bachelorettes. Crazy. There were moments that they were this was crazy. And people throwing up on the on the road oh, and going no. into the vineyard. Is that why I guess uh the neighbors was one neighbor was not happy about it, and uh, is that why we got shut so down? So it got out of control. There was just one point that it got out of control. It didn't get out of control. For Temecula, but no, it was it was. We were we were a super mild case. I mean, yeah, it just rubbed the neighbors the wrong way that they had a winery at the end of the road. You know, because we're mm. we're we live in a our community is only nineteen houses on this neighborhood. And so you had a, a vineyard winery at the end of the street, you know, and we just got lucky to be on street side, you know, right. on the frontage. Uh, so it pissed off a few of them off and they banded together to, to pretty much go after it, He kind of got hit double fold. So the association that manages the wine growers association of the Valley, you have to imagine that 06, 07, it was real estate boom. Yeah. Right. So that's right before the crash. Right. When real estate was going just bonkers. Yeah. So the association zero down. Yeah. So the association that you know the the growers and the wineries belong to kind of put their elbows up, and they started 
you know, pushing the county to lay a zoning ordinance over wine country, kind of setting the ground rules of like how you become a winery. And unfortunately, um, versus being inclusive, they're kind of exclusive towards him, particularly even because he was operating, they very much could have said, hey, get your plot plan and get this and you're included. Right. You know, but they threw the book at him. They threw the county at us. They threw the ABC at us. And then when that started happening, the neighbors jumped on board and all the public hearings and everything like that, the neighbors. So everybody was against you guys. Pretty much. Pretty much. Because he was he was a rogue and he was. And and the thing is that. And he was successful at it. Well, he was he was also wasn't shy about pricing. Right. And so when the rest of the valley was at like a twenty dollar price point, you get this guy out of a four car garage, you know, doing forty, fifty dollar bottles of wine. Um, And so that kind of rubbed people the wrong way that, you know, we were getting uh, that kind of price point for the wine uh, when the rest of the valley wasn't. And we didn't we didn't even have an approved plot plan for a winery. We were just a house. What was it? What, what, what made you price it at 50? And why do you think you were successful at, at selling it at that price? Because I, um, how did, how did you figure out your pricing? What made you, because (laughs) if you don't make an impact, even to create value, create value also to have people talk, even if they talk negative, yeah. But uh, I had a product that it was worth that money. Yeah. And I thought that it was the fair thing to do for me to sell it at the price that I thought that it was worth it because I was heavily involved. That in was wines. the value for you and that was your time. Yeah. Back in those days, I used to buy Chateau Margot for $320 a bottle. Yeah. So uh, I thought that my wines was uh, very compatible. And... And, and when I noticed that people were responding to, I knew that uh, it wasn't that wrong. So I guess other wineries were not happy about that. May, may, may I ask what, what your background was in uh, education? Well, I did not finish high school. Okay. So I guess I went three years in high school and I stopped. Because I thought that I already knew enough to survive. <laughs> I know it all. Well, you know, when yeah. you when you when you have when you're ambitious and you have a lot of dreams, of course. And my parents never school can't teach that. Yeah, my parents never never object that because I I thought that uh, I I think they probably expect me to continue the line of work in the farm. Yeah, but. Uh, it wasn't for me the way it was structured. Right. So I moved to the city. And then later on, they come to live with us at the city and they they rented the farm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I asked because I, I know many, many, many successful businessmen that the education, you know, the traditional education is not there, but the common sense and value and more than anything, the passion was there and the vision was there. And they're more successful than than most people. And I'm talking about super successful. Yeah. This is why I want to drive. Ask. The drive the is drive. something that he doesn't mention. Like he's, he's he says he's retired, but he's not retired. He's still yeah. he's still in the mix and he still, you know, brings tremendous value to the team and, and to what we're doing and to the um, to the entire 
organization, you know. But but for him to use the word retire and for you to take over the position, you sent me that video. That wasn't always the case. He didn't he didn't want to retire or even have you take over, <laughs> right? Actually, I don't want to hear your story. I heard yeah. it on the video. Go yeah. watch the video, guys. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear your story. Watch video. The American Dream, the one that uh, we filmed of you in the barrel room. So, so, so were you, were you making it difficult for him to run the business or did you not want him to run the business or did you know he was going to run the business, but you wanted him to be more prepared? What, what was the mentality? Like at what point were you like, oh my God, well, I never doubt <laughs> Damien's going to take No, I never fuck. doubt that he can run it. <laughs> yeah. But when you, but, but when you're in your early twenties, yeah, you know, there are certain things that you, I did the same thing pretty much. And right. Uh, and, and so I just, I think the biggest part for me was to lose control because uh, I'm kind of... Of the operation, the, the finances? Of, well, so the finances, I, held, I hold his hand forever. Even today, we both um, go over the about, finance. But yeah. uh, the, the... Forever, all right? You're not getting out of that, bro. The no, perpetuity. Well. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's, I think it's part of the guidance that uh, based on my years of experience, I can probably provide yeah. to not to be making the same mistakes yeah. that some people do when they're younger. But uh, I never doubted that they can run it. What, ki- what kind of, uh, just, for, just for giggles, what kind of mistakes? What, what, what do you see? I know 20-year-olds are, are, are knuckleheads, they're screw-ups, they do silly things. But what were the biggest mistakes that you were... You were was there I don't know. Anything buying a, in mind? Buying a Land Rover that you can't afford. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, Getting into debts. Right. So... That makes sense. I love... I know when you're young, you want it all. Right. So I learned this hard way too. But uh, thank God that now things are working the way they should be and they're all putting their effort to now i sincerely don't want to be in his shoes yeah because uh we in today's went, time well and everything because we we start i don't know we were we got to a point where we we're making i don't know two thousand cases and it was overwhelming two thousand cases of wine uh, I, yeah but uh a month a year a year and now he's probably three times that or more. So we don't have any employees. And now I find out the other day that we are about 40. Yeah. So it, oh, is, yeah. it is a little bit of a chain. Yeah. We went from a three-person operation. operation. It was, he did the farming, I did the winemaking, and then our, our then stepmom or his wife um, was the front of the house. You know, so she did the admin, she did, you know, the wine club and everything else. And we, when we first were allowed to open, so when we got shut down, um, we went through a three-year legal battle to kind of be open. 20, what is it, 28 three months or so. Three years, jeez. Uh, the better part of two and a half years. Three years and $1.4 million. Is that it? <laughs> oh, wow. So it was, it was pretty nasty. Um, and so we reopened and one of the conditions that they placed on us when we reopened was we could only open three days a week by appointment only no limos no buses no events no what was up was it covid or something yeah <laughs> like, it felt on. like it 
Uh, so we, you know, he agreed, he signed his life away. We agreed, we let us open. And those first, I would say that first year and a half of operating three days a week was really difficult. I mean, we were, we were two miles away from the last winery on the road. There was no signage for us. There was nothing. We, we, that was part of the deal. No signage. Well, we were just weren't on the maps. We were the new kid in town and the appointment only really restricted people. We, you know, we had a couple pieces of property of friends of ours that would let us put a sign on their corner. Um, but the appointment only verbiage deterred a lot of people. They need to get the people that were kind of well, adventurous. Well, of course, back then, it's not like you can go on Google and be like, hey, yeah, where's a winery? Let exactly. me set up an appointment. I mean, you're talking. People are driving here. Seven, 2007, 2008. So, I mean, it yeah. still existed. And, and but I not would, like that. People yeah, drove not as out much. here yeah. because they wanted to And drink they were just wine. exploring. Yeah. You know, exploring. Um, so, it's like. Well, they will give you a little map. Yeah. Well, the winery had a map. Right. So, you'll circle you, you, you circle but we were not able to be on the map for a long time yeah. so, <laughs> so he so we bought a car, we bought a, a pathfinder yeah. i don't know how you came across a pathfinder through the body shop or yeah. something like a lean sale yeah. or something and we had this big vinyl sign made and we would park the vinyl we'd park the pathfinder on the corner closest to the biggest winery and and drape the sign over the the pathfinder until we got a code enforcement violation for, for long, illegal <laughs> signage <laughs> we'll fine we'll move it we'll move we just leave it parked all how, weekend you know how long was it there for oh we, we would move it out every weekend so friday night we, i know but how long before you got that oh for that like ticket? for a good year oh, i mean we, year? we let it ride <laughs> for wow. a while yeah yeah we and were. even after the violation we're like yeah yeah we'll move it we'll move it and we just kept putting it up because yeah. they can't enforce, you know, there's, first of all, code enforcement doesn't really work on Was Saturdays. it on private property or anything? Yeah, yeah, but it, it 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 violates the signage. So in order to have a sign on that piece of property, you actually have to have a land lease. And it has to These be. These guys, titled. huh? So, I mean, we but we went back. I think, you know, being through that whole battle through the county and getting through it, um, we kind of learned the way the system works a little bit. And so. Yeah. The right contributions were made to the right political campaigns and all of a sudden we had a hearing in front of the board again and we got all the restrictions lifted uh, off of us. Now also the rest of the wineries I think understood that uh, we were serious. We're not doing anything illegal because to go against anything. It was just the rules change and I guess the county wanted to show off like an example or something set an example but uh after they realized that you know i i try to comply 100 percent, and i guess so you were so pretty much they made you as an example they put you on a probation that you pretty much pretty much right like a probation where you guys had the the probation was kind of to comply with the neighbors to keep the night the neighbors happy and that lasted for a, a year and a half we went back i think a year changed later got in front of the hearing and and then asked to be open seven days a week. And that's when the business changed. Yeah. Like the, the going from a three day a week retail to a seven day a week retail and open for business. It changes now. Now you need to hire somebody because we still before in the old model, Monday through Thursday, we could get all of our production done. We could, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have people on site. Uh, and then transitioning to seven days a week, having somebody on site or having the potential to have somebody on site you need to man the tasting room you know right but uh, it was worth it i think that um you know i remember when we'd have a, a three thousand dollar day we'd go to sushi and celebrate that we that we sold three thousand dollars <laughs> in wine 
Yeah. You know? And so it, that was a huge, that was a huge accomplishment for us. We, we, and it was just three of us selling wine. And then we slowly started integrating the family members and, and it was a really cool day. The early days were awesome. The little four car garage, you know, we, we had built a, a counter and, and the energy in there would be crazy. Sometimes we, you know, the music would be rocking and you'd be shoulder to shoulder, two people deep at the bar trying to buy wine. And you'd look left and you'd see, like, I'd see my dad with four or five couples, you know, doing wine tasting and the counters full of wine that he's selling. You look to your right and I'd see my sisters also each with a counter full of people. And we, we built counter everywhere, anywhere we could put a, a bar to serve you wine. We, I mean, we built little makeshift counters. We, we packed this little 800 square foot garage. Where, where, where's the garage now? It's our current tasting room. It's still it, there. It, so the tasting we, we just made it look, garage. yeah, we just made it look prettier now. It was cool before. And then we turned, uh, my sister Bridget does all of our design, our apparel. Now we have an apparel line now and stuff like that. And she's an incredible, uh, artist design. You know, she just has this design eye and aesthetic. Uh, I always say she's the keeper of cool for us. And, um, that's cool. So we didn't have the heart to tear down the original building. You know, my dad built that by himself in 04. Uh, and then when we got busted and shut down, he had to remodel it to to pass, to become a tasting room. And then as we wanted to kind of update the aesthetics of the property, uh, neither three of the kids had the heart to say, hey, if we tear it down and build something new, none of us. Like that wasn't even on the table, you know, cause it got yeah. suggested to us. It was like, well, if you tear everything down, you know, your dad's going to lose the emotional connection to it and he'll let go finally. And, right. And then, so You're we, like, fi- no we fired, we fired that guy. We're like, you don't, you don't get us. You're yeah. done. So then, especially with a statement like that, who would say such a thing? Well, exactly. They were just, he was just trying to say like the emotional attachment to the building. Right. Know, if you tear it down, the emotional attachment disappears and you can build a functioning winery. Cause right now it's, it's, you know, the house, the original house with the four car garage that he built right next to it. Um, and so if you look at it with like one eye open, you can kind of see, oh, it's still the house with that. And even so the house is now all the offices and. But know, that's the, what, that's what people like. I mean, I, personally, that's what, that's what I like. Like when, when I travel, like when I travel, you know, I, I do a lot of traveling, but when I travel back home, like uh, to Cuba, you know, you still eat in people's houses. There's no restaurants, you know. There's a few restaurants, but you you go into a home and they set up a, a, you know, a living room and a kitchen and the family members are making the food for you and it's, it's, it's a beautiful experience. I think that has more value than a typical, you know, winery or a typical club yeah, or... A, a fake Tuscan. Yeah, a fake, I, the, uh, one yeah. that looks like the Olive Garden, right? Like, exactly. That's what like I, I just the, feel like there's so many that just look like... Even the fake veneer and stuff like that is just it, so, it's so cheesy. Garden. Yeah, it's yeah. so cheesy. I, I got to jump into this because for me, this is the most important thing. Where did where did the thing come from? This motorcycle thing. There's motorcycle posters. There's motorcycles, you know, on top of you, under you, all along, all along the sides. Where did that come from? Where did that start? Was that the original idea? No. Or it's not a, it's not along? a theme that's the best part about it that it never came about it i was like hey we're gonna do this are and these I'm, fake motorcycles yeah. <laughs> well, well yeah it's it's funny some of the yelp reviews like oh it's like you know i had somebody say <laughs> that it was just a, a gimmick a facade. <laughs> like, yeah yeah 250 motorcycles into it and it's it's a facade yeah come yeah. on 
But no, what's, go what, for what's it, the story? Dad. Get into it. No, well. Um, Do you like motorcycles? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by motorcycles. They're my passion. Yeah. I can spend hours in my shop. And when my back hurts, then I go back to the house. But uh, drink some I wine was, and then uh, come back out. I was very little. I was probably eight or seven, nine, I don't know. When I, one of our relatives show up with a motorcycle, I, I used to see them going by, but they, you know, we live in the rural area, away from each other. The town was like five miles from the house, but uh, they were always around, and I, I, I begin to have this interest for the bikes. Yeah, and then on the sixties, um, they. The prettier Italian small CC bikes show up to Argentina, and for a short period of time, they were able to import Italian bikes because Italians uh, are a very big part of our society. And Argentina is full of immigrants from Italy. Yeah. So, and that really, uh, I think, touched my heart. The first day that I saw a 175 Ducati Sport. Golden paint with uh, candy apple red, shiny chrome, you know, um, beautiful jelly mold tank. It was like, wow, this is, and I'm so fascinated by this the bike it. that now I have like 15 of them. Yeah. Because they're, they're unique in a way. And later on, uh, we needed to transport me and my brother to school. So my parents. And my uncle decided to buy a, a, a motorcycle. Yeah. It's a cheaper to and more efficient to take us to school. And that was pretty much the beginning of my 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 desire to be with a motorcycle all the time. So how old were you when you had your first motorcycle that you rode all the time? What was your age? Well, it was that particular bike that then when I was able to reach the, the floor. The floor. So you were like 13? Uh, probably 12. 12, 13. But, uh, Did you have your license? I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. No, but the, the, the most... I, I never forget the feeling of letting go of the clutch. Yeah. And that thing start rolling on its own, you know? Because uh, but, but, so, I had so, a bicycle all my life. Yeah. And then... And, yes. No, no. So... Who taught you? Like, they just told you manually, oh, okay, no, this well, is your clutch, well. this is your gas, and then you just jumped on the no, first no, time. I knew the bike Oh, you knew. Yeah. Since, since the day we bought it. Right. And when the bike uh, was parked inside of uh, our bedroom, and it was my grandfather, myself, and me, <laughs> and my uncle. <laughs> and, uh, and the bike was tied to the back part of the grandpa bed yeah. because the old man will get up and take a leak in the middle of the night and my uncle was afraid it was, it was going to tumble off the bike right so the, the bike was there by my bed so every <laughs> night every night i look at it i touch it and when they leave town i will fire up inside of the bedroom how funny and <laughs> breathing I all the gas two strokes, two strokes <laughs> yeah. inside the house <laughs> And, and he, still, then, he still fires up motorcycles inside the house. 
That's and so back funny. then it was uh, thirty weight oil that we use on the mix. Yeah, so the two stroke was terrible. There wasn't two stroke oil; it was just regular oil. So they burn, uh, and they smoke. That's so funny. Your yeah. mo- your mom must have. Your mom never. Oh, <laughs> I was allowed to do all those things. Yeah. And so I, I I knew the bike. I, I was already involved, and one day I just took off, and then it became my bike. And I sold it when I went to the army. And then I went back to Argentina to look for so it. You, so you were in the army in Argentina? Yes. Nice. And I find two of them, so they're both in uh, in our collection. So you, you, you bought two motorcycles, you found those motorcycles, and you identical. have it in your collection now? Oh, identical. Yes. And you have, nice. That's awesome. The other cool bike that he went back... He mentioned, tell him about the Jalera, Dad. That, that's an amazing story. Uh, later on, when I um, I went back to to my hometown, uh, I noticed that these this older brothers have this Jalera that I used to see going by my farm when I grew up. Yeah. They, they bought the bike in 1948. So the bike was there before I was born. Right. So as I grew up, I, I, I remember the noise. I remember seeing the two heads going by the road. The two headlights? No, the right. heads of the oh, guys. The two brothers <laughs> yeah, yeah. riding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was so loud. So eventually I tried to negotiate. It took me like two years. And finally I got the bike. Uh, it was already beat up pretty much a basket case but uh, it was very meaningful to have that particular bike yeah so I had it restored in in Argentina and eventually we brought it back so now it's in my living room that is awesome in your living room yes that <laughs> that bike has a really cool story that the the so he it, he used to see it as a little kid yeah. we have the original sales receipt from his original receipt of sale from 1948 on the bike. How, how, what, what's the price? I don't know. What oh, the, I, I think like. back then it was probably, I don't know, $200. The equivalent to $200. Yeah, it's uh, a, it's a Jalera ch- Saturno 500. So it's a it's a 500cc single. It's a big bike. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a little motorcycle. And... So the, he has his cousin restore it, who's a motorcycle mechanic in Argentina, and restores it, does a 100-point restoration on the bike. Beautiful. Then it gets, he had a girlfriend in Argentina that he would stash bikes with. How many with. girlfriends did you have, sir? <laughs> Let's not get into that. That's a yeah. whole, that's a whole that's, different that's podcast. A, that's a, pod, that's that's a, a second episode podcast. Episode two. <laughs> but uh, situation changes with the girlfriend, and she uh, sequesters the bikes. And was holding him ransom. It was that one in a in a Harley. Sequestra. She she uh, kidnaps the bike. She kidnaps the bike. Hilarious. She, she, she hides the bike. Hides the bike from him and starts demanding money. Um, it was that and a That's and it was a Harley Davidson. It was I remember it was a, a black Harley Davidson, yeah. like a nineteen what is it forty seven nineteen forty seven Harley that supposedly was owned by Peron, the president. Really, it had it was 
loosely linked or something like that, right, Dad? I mean, what was the... Where'd you get that? You bought it from his uh, his ex-girlfriend? No, no, <laughs> from Perón's ex-girlfriend, from Ivita. Ivita? I, I, I found them in Buenos Aires, and um, it was running, and it was very pretty, so... It was a Harley Davidson. Yeah. Uh, suicide shift, the whole thing. Um, the so p- then we recovered the Gilera. Yeah, to, and, and if no, he wait, wait. Had, he if, says if he recovered, but he, what he means is he broke into a shed with lock cutters and found. No, it. no, I, I didn't <laughs> broke into the shed. This is just between us. Don't worry, nobody. Yeah, no, 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 nobody's gonna hear. Nobody's this. gonna hear. This. No, how did how did you how me, did you find me, it? I, my buddy who lives here was in, in in the city in Argentina, so I go, come with me and let's recover this gelera. Yeah. So. We went Back to her house. Repo so, so your ex wanted money, and you're like, nah. No, well, it. we kind of had an agreement, but it wasn't settled. Yeah. So I you went. Didn't shake hands. I That's went it. to the house. Yeah. And I back up a little truck that I had in Argentina. Pulled the bike out, and there was this guy in a bicycle and a little <laughs> girl riding. You know, it was almost on the sunset time, and I stopped in front of him. I go stop. Help me load this bike. And the guy got off the bicycle, put the little girl on the sidewalk, helped us put the bike on the track. And That's took hilarious. Off. That's so cool. We S- took off. Straight to the port. Yeah. <laughs> Container seal. Did, 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 did you convince, like, hey, this is my ex. She stole my motorcycle or no questions? Just No, no. I, the guy, I said, all we need is you to give us a hand. So he gave us a hand and we took off. Yeah. So, so when that bike gets to the States, we get a phone call from Pebble Beach. Uh, the concourse and I fielded a phone call and they said hey we know you have this motorcycle we've heard we've seen photos of the bike and if you are willing to send us these very detailed photos they wanted photos of the engine number the VIN, registration if we had it blah blah, blah a bunch of stuff um, and the bike ended up in Pebble Beach and it and it placed at the concourse in Pebble Beach so I just think that that bike it has one of the coolest stories in the yeah, collection because sure. it, from it seen in his childhood to you know to being held hand, ransomed and then to you know the cousin doing the restoration and I mean it it has just layers on layers of cool stories about that particular motorcycle in the collection. So that's why we put it on one of the wine labels. Oh, did you guys put it on one of the wine labels? Yeah. Which wine? It, it was the Grand Tinto. Grand Tinto. Yeah, the Grand Tinto. We have and, and the Motodofo side of the lines of wines that we make. That, that's uh, that's another question. Uh, Dofo, the name. Where where did the name come from? Uh, we are Italians from the north of Italy. My grandfather came to Argentina in 1903. Yeah. From a little town called Porto Ricanati, in the Adriatic Sea, on the province of Marche. Wow. And and that's where the name came from. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was his last name. That was so the I don't Dofo know where it came name. from, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we Dofo, look back to uh, two generations. Dolfo, because it, it it sounds Italian, but then it also sounds like Dolfo. Yeah, Italian. yeah, it's got to be Italian. Yeah, I'm not questioning. I'm just the the, the Dofos in in Italy don't talk to us though. They they want nothing to do with us. Why? I have no idea. I don't know. They think you go back to claim some property or something they yeah you know they're they're a little but no i i found one that it, it was okay but uh we, we correspond on, on internet yeah so they, they have a they have a dofo winery as well or no 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 they, they just have something there's just the last name you know yeah. like 
going back to the roots, trying to connect because he goes to Italy pretty often. Argentina is interesting because you know the, the, there there is the whole there's the whole Italian thing, and then there's the there the, there was a lot of Nazis there too, right? They didn't isn't Hitler well, or Hitler Peron was there? was selling passports to the Nazis. Peron, Peron was selling it to them, right? Uh, that's well, I don't know if they're selling it, but so they. They, a lot of them uh, end up in, in, in southern Argentina. In southern and Argentina. There is a big uh, community now. Cordoba in the mountains, right, Dad? Yes. Is, is Cordoba in, in the south. Was Hitler there? Because <laughs> I heard there's a lot of museums. Is he still they, alive? They, Are you is he still alive? <laughs> yeah. With Bigfoot and Elvis. I know. <laughs> They're Are all they in Argentina? Hanging out with Tupac. I knew. Right there. But they ha- right? <laughs> but they had... um. I heard they have a lot of uh, museums out there. Well, obviously, but they ha- they sell like Nazi. Well, in where where in, I don't know about Nazis. I don't know about that. Like but medallions I know for the, and stuff like that. There's German Just schools. Like in the school, there's a whole German school system. Yeah. That they teach you how to speak German, and then in this in Cordoba, in the mountains of Cordoba, there's a there's a town that's super Dutch. It's crazy. Like they have Oktoberfest and stuff like that. And, but, and I mean, it, and it's very yeah, that's much what I'm like, saying. it's so interesting. It's, dude, it has like the wooden, you know, like the, all the, yeah, the, the, the dome, whatever they call it. And they yeah, party the whole drink. architecture and stuff like that. And the beer yeah. gardens and stuff. It, it's, it's a trip. And, no, but they yeah, all speak it, perfect Spanish. <laughs> I know, and then there's the Korean immigration to Argentina too. So then you get like Korean Argentinians, yeah. which trip you out. I know we, we, we have a, uh, we have Chinese Cubans and that <laughs> such a trip. Like, oh yeah, chico. Like what, <laughs> what did you say? I don't understand, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's there. It's part, it's part, yeah. it's the human race period. Yeah. We find one of those at the track. Remember? Oh yeah. We, <laughs> we were, we were, we were doing a track day <laughs> and there's like a group of Asian guys, you know, and all of a sudden they, they look over at us and they start speaking perfect Spanish and it just flew. With Argentinian whole, accent. Yeah, yeah. So we had a group of Argentinians at the track, all of us together, you know, and it just floored us. And then they became part of the group with us, you know, that's awesome. That's awesome. So then you had your winery, you started buying your motorcycles, you started collecting it, and now you have 250 motorcycles? How many motorcycles do you have here? More or less? 252, I think. Did, did, you, did you keep every motorcycle you ever bought? I sold a few, but very, yeah. very few. Yeah. If you read the Bible, it says that you should never sell your motorcycle. <laughs> In the Bible. <laughs> In the Bible, see. Yeah. But... Um, I got rid of a few bikes that I lost interest, and but I you went kept to. most of them. I mean, you kept. Yes, and, and this yes. is this is a this is a lifetime of of collecting bikes. It is pretty much because it's been what twenty years, twenty two years. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. You, you you inspired me, and I'm sure you inspired many listeners. Buy your motorcycles and keep them. Don't sell them. A lot of people I know, you know, always regretted selling their first motorcycle, you know, so that, that that's awesome that you got the two passions. Talking about the winery now, what what can people expect? What do you offer? What's the experience when somebody comes here? What 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 are they going to see? How would you describe everything here now today? They're definitely going to see motorcycles. <laughs> I mean, they're going to see wine and motorcycles. Yeah, I mean. But do you guys have? Uh, They're everywhere. We 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 view them as art. So for yeah. us, the more motorcycles we can display, and every building is just more wall space for motorcycles. We have custom racks made to put motorcycles up on walls, and 
and bolt them to the floor and, you know, and everywhere we can put motorcycles, we do. Um, but I think what makes us unique in the Temecula Valley, yes, the motorcycles is definitely a factor. But the main focus for the first 20 years that we made wine and we did this, we never did the big pretty building. We never did the hotel, the restaurant, all the weddings, all the other stuff. We focused 100% on quality of wine. And so the first 20 years, all we did was reinvest into production. And how do we make, you know, how do we make better wine? And that was my big focus when I came on board was how do we continue to improve what we're doing? We started making wine with no tools. We had no equipment, no nothing. And, you know, we, we shared equipment with the winery across the street and another small winery. We had all of the equipment on a trailer and you'd be processing fruit and you'd get the phone call from the other winery saying, Hey, I got fruit coming in. I need the processor. And, We'd load it on the trailer and trailer it over, drop it off, and go pick it up the next morning when we were processing again. So we slowly started, you know, building our production line and buying the equipment and the steam generators and the barrel washers. And and so now we're one of the most well-equipped wineries in the valley. You know, we do stuff that no other wineries do. We triple sort the fruit. We don't crush. We use a very gentle pump like... Our, the pump that we use 30 days out of the year is equivalent to a few of his vintage bikes. You know, like right. it, it's it's a very expensive piece of equipment that you only use 30 days a year. But the commitment to quality is that it, it, it makes sense if you're committing to that quality level. So we focused so much on quality. And for us, it was very important to make make the best red wine in the valley. And so. We picked up that accolade. We won that competition a few times. We won Best Red in the Valley. We won Winery of the Year, all with a four-car garage, 800-square-foot four-car garage. That's amazing. <clears throat> that truly is amazing. You know, and now we have, a, you know, we have our production building and stuff like that. But out of a tiny little space, and we were going up against these wineries with multimillion-dollar facilities and professional winemakers and, you know, but our lab was well-equipped. Our equipment is some of the best out there. We, we're doing processes that other yeah, but, people won't do. We farm, but that, but that's now. Like, like, like. I got a question. If, if I was to open up a winery today, I would want like the best equipment, like what you guys have. You know, I don't think I would. How deep are your pockets? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and exactly. That. That's How the deep point. Are your I, I think. I think that there, there's a a romance about having that. 800 square foot garage and starting that way I, and I, I think if you guys wouldn't have done it that way you know and you had to start today you know this probably wouldn't be around it, it's just it doesn't have the same feeling it doesn't have the same feeling it, it doesn't does. have the history the value exactly. the quality you know when and you, this is something in, that came over generation generation and and you can't i mean that, that again that's priceless that's it, very priceless the passion is palpable you know, when you come here, that's what I think you feel. I think that with the motorcycles and, and since we're very proud of the last name, we're very proud of what we do. Um, and I, I carry it, you know, I carry that burden now of making sure that the wine is top notch. And yeah, I'm don't always, don't mess it up now. No, like, dude, like, dude I do. Before bottling, I don't sleep like yeah. legit. Like I still get nervous, you know, and, and I'm I've been doing it for several years now. 
and I still get nervous before. It gets to a point where you you start obsessing about the wine right before you bottle it, right before it goes into the product, and trying to make these final. It's like racing. I compare it to racing, where you know, right before the race, especially since we race vintage, we're always in the carburetor trying to like eke yeah. out the the perfect jetting to to make optimize the bike. Right. And same thing with bottling wine. I mean, right up until that wine goes into the bottle, you can make you can make a last minute Hail Mary if, right. you, need, if you need to. And we've done it. I mean, there's been days where, where the, the bottling line, because it's a mobile bottling line, a million dollar semi pulls in with this beautiful stainless steel bottling line. You hook up to it and it knocks out your bottling and then it disconnects and it leaves, you know. And uh, we've been bottling wine and the tank right next to it's next in line to go into the into the bottling line and we're making adjustments 20 30 minutes before it goes out that's wild it, oh wow i, I try not <laughs> so to do that wild. anymore i mean right. usually that's an extreme circumstance right but uh i've gotten better at timing of production logistics and everything it's a it's a big logistics funnel to get to bottling yeah and so it takes a lot of coordinating especially now it's, it's oh, different. I'm sure there's more machinery, there's more employees, there's labels, more corks, capsules, let, let, supply uh, chain. When I think about making wine, all I think about is the old days, people stepping on the uh, the grapes and stuff. What 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 is the process of of making wine? How does it start off? Well, definitely we don't step on the grapes anymore. <laughs> why <laughs> unless, not? Unless you pay for that experience, well, I'll I'll sell you that experience yeah, all yeah. day long. No, because we uh, we ferment uh, the fruit uh, whole. We don't we don't squash the grapes or anything. So it's a so. But but what what like how long does it take for the grapes to grow and then you guys harvest it? One harvest a year. So it starts it's with farming. One harvest a year. It starts with farming, right? And, and really, the most I would say the most critical part of winter, like this time that we're in right now, is what we're currently doing in the vineyards, which is pruning and pruning the vineyard is where you protect the longevity of the vineyard because if you hire any random labor guy to go in and cut the vines back yeah they cut them back but there's 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 an art to pruning a vineyard and to keeping and we're we're very focused on that because we look at this as a hundred year investment like i i view the health of the vineyard that my kids kids have to have this vineyard Right. Right. So, I mean, that's that's what we we're a family legacy piece and we're already on the second generation and third generations already working like third. We have my that's amazing. Niece, my niece and nephew are bussing glasses and they're back of the house staff. Yeah. Run, running glass and running, you know, helping wearing the shirt, you know, yeah, doing whatever they can. So they participating. Uh, well, and so. That even adds even another layer of pressure for me to say, hey, I got to make sure that we, the G3 can can run this thing. So, But pruning is essential because you can be very detrimental to the longevity of the vineyard if you prune incorrectly. Right. So pruning's, I would say, Primary. Up, up there. Uh, then you get bud break March-ish. Like in a few weeks here, we'll see. Next one. Yeah, very soon we'll start the growing season, and then the clock starts for us. As soon as you see bud break, the winemaker in you goes, damn, I'm on the clock, and here it comes. Before you know it, it's harvest. So we harvest uh, 
in September typically. Wait, wait, at what point? At what point do you play the classical music? All year long. All year long. Three sixty-five. That's awesome. And if it's not on, he'll let me know. Do the neighbors say anything? Or it's not. We that. had we had one neighbor ask us to turn it down. Yeah. Because um, in the middle of the night, if you listen carefully from his house, you can definitely hear it because he lives two doors up. Yeah. Um, but you can definitely hear it in the middle of the night. That's so awesome. So romantic. So so enjoyable. Oh, it's beautiful. It, it's it's awesome. Dude. I'm telling you. And the then here you can up. see the stars all perfect, right? Oh, yeah. The, the evenings and the nights are perfect. This is a great area. It's a bubble. Yeah. It, the Temecula Valley is a, is a bubble in Southern California like no other. Uh, people say when they come here, it's you get lost in Temecula time because you just, there's nothing like it in the area. You know? that, that, and that's what, that, that's what I meant by my question earlier. What do people, what can people expect here? They're going to see motorcycles, great tasting wine, the environment, uh, the, the wine club, uh, do you guys lodge? Do you not lodge? Do you guys plan out the whole day? Do you, or is there events? Can you throw all of an the, event? All of the above. So everything that you just mentioned, we, we do a derivative of. Um, we have different experiences. You, have, you can do a tour. Uh, and what's cool about the tours, it's either myself, my dad, or my sister who do the tours. Who, who does it better? Definitely the, the gangster area. That's right. He's, I would imagine. He's the best. I, I, I have no offense. I, I wouldn't want a tour from you. Oh. <laughs> I'll go drinking with you. Yeah. We can go anywhere, but yeah. I, I'd want the tour right here. Yeah. No, he he does an amazing job. And then my sister has her flair. You know, she, she we always tell her, like, hey, make sure you don't embellish. Like, just whatever you do, just make sure that you stay within the lines because she has yeah. her version of things that happen yeah. she's gonna be like i designed this yeah that you don't no, worry about anything she, else she's awesome she does yeah. she has a great flair to it and then so we do the tours we do tastings um because of covid we did a pivot we have a food company now so we have a catering in-house catering company so now we have a pop-up grill on the weekends um we make our homemade chimichurri which is very argentine super argentine yeah they love it the chimichurri is a huge hit so on the weekends, we try to, we do like tri-tip and chimichurri over french fries or a tri-tip sandwich with chimichurri and, you know, and derivatives of. Then um, we have one guest suite. Well, we have a master suite that used to be his master bedroom um, that opens out to the winery, opens up out to the vineyard. And it's only available to wine club members. So our whole thing is our wine club members are, are an extension of our family. And we try to treat them as such. And so when they're here, we're, they're part of the family. And we try to, you know, we're very much open-armed. And, you know, we embrace a lot of people and just say, hey, thank you for supporting our passion. And we're going to treat you like family when you're here. How, how many people are in the, the, the winery club? Amongst all the three clubs, we're probably in the 3,000 range. Holy shit. And this is all across the country. They're all across, across the, the world. Across the nation. The nation. Can't sh shipping internationally gets a little tricky and and what what does the winery club consist of for, for the people that don't know the plans uh so the wine club it, it's a subscription model so you get uh, on the biggest club it's three shipments of four bottles um, prices average about 200 to 200 and a quarter per shipment plus shipping a quarter yeah so it's it's not a quarter it's three shipments because you can't it's very difficult to ship wine in the middle of the summer right the, the wine doesn't travel well and in high temperatures so trying to get across the middle of the country in the summertime is brutal so we we go 
before summer and after summer, and then you get a spring one. And and then the the two hundred dollars is quarterly. No, it's no. it's per shipment. So it oh, averages about two and a quarter per shipment. Got and it. there's three shipments a year of four bottles. And then you can go to a there's a club that's exactly half of that. Um, so you get two bottles three times a year, and those shipments average about a hundred bucks. That's really fair. Yeah, it's That's not really bad. good. It's yeah. not bad. You get a discount. Uh, the, and then they the get access club. to here. And they, well, they get free tastings when they come in. That's awesome. Yeah, so you get free tastings. Um, you know, you first because uh, on the bigger club, on that four bottle club, it's tiered. So your discount gets bigger the longer you're in. So we like to reward loyalty. And so it's tw- first year, you're twenty percent off on your purchases. Year two, twenty two. Year three, twenty five. That's uh, awesome. How long ago did you guys start that? Loyalty program has been around for about four or five years, I would say. It, it was a play. We were. It, it we, works out really good business wise, huh? Well, what happened is when we started evaluating our membership life cycle, we saw that most people uh, abandoned the wine club after the first year. So you have this big drop off in membership from year one to year two. And so I was trying to figure out how to entice somebody enough like how many percentage points do i need to give away to get you to stay on to year two because what we saw is after year two to year five they stay on a lot longer so you got to just get them over that first hurdle um and the average life cycle of a membership in the wine industry right now is 18 months Uh, we're averaging 33 months in our membership life cycle that's huge so yeah that's huge congratulations But but that comes from consistency of quality right and, you right. Know, There's no other way you of have to it. keep delivering at that level because people will drop you in a heartbeat, man. You, you put out a bad bottle of wine or you, you piss them off here on site. The, 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 the problem is there, there's too many options. So so when you yeah. have somebody, especially in the wine game, in any game, yeah. you know, you, you can you can ride a Harley Davidson and, and you get one or two bad experiences at the dealer. And it's like, you know what? I'm over this, you know, or I don't want to cut. You know, I'm buying an Indian. Yeah, I'm buying an Indian. I'm, I'm, I'm done, you know, and, and that happens or vice versa, obviously. And Harley Davidson, I don't want to piss him off. <laughs> I love Harley Davidson. Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> but those are the things that people don't understand. Like I, I've, I just made an order with Pro Flowers and they messed up, you know, on Valentine's Day. I was pissed. I was like, you know what? Never again, never again. And, um. They sent me flowers anyways, and I was like, oh, okay, okay I'll, I'll still I like them. you still. Yeah, yeah, I'll still work with them and stuff. I'm not calling 1-800-Flowers. But, but it's so easy for, for people to lose the focus on their clients. And for some reason, people, companies focus on new clients instead of their existing clients. And that's something that I never understood either because, you know, AT&T will, will give promos to the new clients, but the people that have been clients for 10 years, there's no benefit you know the, there's a sign up you know and get pay 89 dollars for all three services and while the old ones are paying 160 bucks like hey what about us so that that's good that you guys are focusing on on your retention yeah the retention um, is huge especially when you live it, and die important. by that, when you live and die by that model um so and then new signups are important as well though you know of course. And, and so it, it's the lifeblood so um i mean but it's it's almost like 50 50 existing and new clients you yeah. can't you can't be like 80 percent new clients or 80 percent. it's 50 50 you got to treat them evenly well it's on the weekends when we walk the floor you know and we'll be visiting with tables and and we always ask it's just a habit like first time here first time visiting us and you'd be amazed with how many people 
like, yeah, it's our first time. It's our first time. It's our first time, you know, and, and we've done a really good job of, um, networking within the Valley. You know, we're the only winery that invites over each winery individually and wines and dines each property individually to thank them for the referrals. That's, no, that's no, huge. Nobody else does that, you know, and we, and on the bigger properties, we, him and I will light the barbecue and we'll barbecue for the bigger properties, like the resort properties. And we'll host 40, 50, oh, back before COVID, before when you could host, um, we'd host the entire team and we'd, they'd come over and it'd be him and I barbecuing and serving wine and giving them empanadas and chimichurri and just saying, Hey, thank you because you help feed our family and we're grateful for it. And we're thankful for, you know, your one referral makes the difference. Absolutely. So and, uh, and I, we've and been doing that for years. And I see you guys have a lot of motorcycle parking. You guys get you guys get a lot of bikers. The best is the when weekend? people park in those spots. They try to stick a Tesla in those little spots, you know. And you're like, <laughs> or you see a big old, yeah. you know, you see like a Denali Yukon parking like ten and, of them. Like, dude, what are you're you like, doing? bro, it says motorcycle parking all over it. Yeah, you know? the spot is three feet wide, and you try to stuff a Denali in there. No, but that that's cool. I, obviously, you yeah. did that for the passion of motorcycles. But do you guys yeah, get a lot of motorcyclists here all the time? Do you guys encourage motorcyclists to come here on the weekends? Yeah, we encourage them to come visit, um, obviously, responsibly. Because, right. And, and that's one thing that I do love about the motorcycle community, that we, we've never had that problem where you see somebody um, going going crazy. You know, like, their motorcyclists are so responsible in that regard. That I, My experience with that has been that they have maybe one glass of wine, make sure that they have lunch, and then they you always see them and and what we do for that very thing is we actually have a coffee cart when we show the moto gp races we have a coffee cart going and so you don't want to have a glass of wine that's cool you can still come hang out watch the race drink some coffee drink some coffee you know that's and, awesome and hang out so yeah my, my we definitely is, cater to the motor crowd my rule of thumb this is just mine i'm not advising this to anybody two wheels two drinks tops that's it that's usually how i stick with it Depending how many wheels I have. Depending what the drink is. Depending what the drink <laughs> is, too. No, I'm actually pretty consistent. Yeah. You yeah. know, two wheels, I'll drink either two beers or two shots or two wines. That's it. Yeah. But I'll never go over that limit. Like, that That just builds a little, you know. The, the, the barrier. Bounder, the barrier. Totally. Like it gives me barrier. Yeah. It, we've kind of become like a riding destination for, for people to show up and check out the bikes. And even if they're not into wine. Uh, and that's really how the apparel started. The apparel started yeah. because we'd get people coming in to check out the bikes, but they weren't buying what we were selling, you know, like they weren't buying any wine. And like, how do you, how do you sell this person something, you know? And so my sister and I would look at each other and be like, we need a hat, we need a t-shirt, you know? And so we started with just like a super simple chest stamp, vinyl print, Moto Dofo across the chest. Is that how the Moto Dofo got, got started? Well, he coined that name 20 years ago on his first restoration. Motor Dofo, Dofo? Mo, Motor Dofo. Nice. So you saw a future for that. Oh, I wanted to identify that you like the brand or your the name co- and the collection. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He named his collection before he knew he had a collection. So. So yeah. what? You see, this is the stuff schools can't teach. These are the visions and, and education and like you know, you you can't you can't get this in a traditional school. It's it's, it's strange. Yeah, it, it, and both what I, what I take is that what's really interesting about what we've done is that both brands 
were never supposed to be what they are. Like we were never supposed to be a winery. We were never supposed to be Motodofo vintage motorcycle collection, you know, or Motodofo now is we just call it the collection because now with my sister's vision of the apparel, we have an apparel line. She does two launches a year of apparel. And with the vision I had of the wine and the art of making, you know, a wine label with artists and doing an art series for each vintage. It, so now we call it Motodofo Wine Art Moto because it's right. it's all three, you know, and it all circles around his passion that he instilled in us. Of but but it, it, it's it's so it's so funny how things work out because, you know, I've been here for two hours and. And your dad, when he when I told him, hey, we're going to do the podcast, he's like, you know, I remember you from the the, the, the all-purpose cleaner. And what am I going to do with you and being an all-purpose cleaner and talk to you? Yeah, why am I talking and to this Why guy? am I talking to you? <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, same thing. I, I had Ride Boundless. I trademarked it before I had the cleaner. I had just a website selling a few motorcycle parts. And then I made the cleaner. And that's when I met your father. Uh, he wanted to trade a bottle. I, I had a busy booth. My booth was booming that day. And then your your, your father came over and he says, uh, I don't remember exactly, but he said something along the lines like, uh, I'll trade you my bottle of wine for your cleaner. You know, and I was like, okay. So we traded bottles and uh, and then I was just busy. And anyways, now I'm here and, and thinking about it, you know, I, I then changed the name of the cleaner to Ride Clean. But I had Ride Boundless patent and trademarked. And then a year ago, I launched the podcast. And, uh, you know, I was like, what should I name it? And I was like, well, I have Ride Boundless trademarked. So why don't I just name it the Ride Boundless podcast? And it's just weird because I did that four years ago, not knowing what it's going to be today. And today, it's, 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 it's a pretty big deal, you know. And, and, you know, luckily, because I have this, I get to sit down with you guys and hear your story and, and why you, what you guys do and why you guys do what you do. But it's just interesting how things work out. I guess uh, if you put all your um, energy and your heart, uh, it's doable. And, 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 and one of the, probably one of the most amazing things is the incredible country that we are in. Yeah. This is it. Regardless. Yeah, the country of, anything, of opportunities. But this is it. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I, I can say that I'm living proof of the, the American dream. Okay. Because you, you, you come with nothing, but if you do the right thing and if you're consistent and if you are dedicated, this, this, this country is very generous. Yeah, especially if you're consistent. If and you're the, consistent society, and the society is very trustworthy and respectful. Yeah. Because we come from a society where it's, it's hard, it's difficult. Everybody is trying to get you... Um, you can't trust, you can't park your car, you can leave anything outside. And, and here, you know, when you realize you don't have to lock your doors or, or people come here and leave your credit card on file and, and, and they come back and they become your, your, your friends because uh, at the end of the day, we sell happiness. We don't sell anything that people really need to have. Right, you sell an experience sell the experience of seeing probably more than one family member around because this is this is our life yeah and, and i think this is uh, it's important for the customers because they can always 
see us. You go to different wineries and the owners are like untouchable. You know, don't they don't show up? You don't know who they are. So this is a family business, and when the customers arrive, we treat them like family too. It's it's truly a beautiful thing what you've done here. Um, again, this is my first time here, and I'm going to be here a lot more. I'm going to check out your guys' events, and I'm sure we'll do another episode, maybe after an event. You know, But I want to say congratulations to you. You got an awesome father. You got an amazing son. Your sisters. You want to sh- give a shout-out to their names? Yeah, my sister Bridget and Samantha. Samantha for what they're doing on the on the motor motor apparel yeah, or the yeah not, not even motor apparel. So Bridget does all the design aesthetics and and she ha- she's like our creative and then Sam uh, helps us coordinate events and she's always coming up with original event ideas and uh, the one that she pitched me yesterday was Studio Fifty Four for our next uh, wine club release party. I have no idea what Studio Fifty Four has to do with our summer right. release. <laughs> Right. But uh, like the last one we did was a sock cop and she's always coming up with these, these fun ideas for our wine club members to come get out of the get out of the norm a little bit. And I think now you have to you have to throw these themes. You got yeah, just to do something fun. Like but what's interesting is going back to we're one of the smallest properties in the valley and our ideas and our events are uh, the biggest ones. No, they get copied like crazy. Like that's so, good. so many things that we do. All of a sudden, there's somebody that releases something just like that, uses the same name. What we'll a wine box! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all kinds of stuff, you know. And so they, they, but what they're lacking is the authenticity of it, you know. Yeah. And that, and so it, it's hard to replicate when it's real, you know. Like he said, like this is what we do. Like I don't look look at it as my work anymore. It's just my life. I live two doors down from here, and this is just something that we do day in day out and it's our lifeblood and it's our passion. That's, and, that's amazing. And it's cool. It's, it, it, and I'm living uh, an incredible moment because of his wild idea to, to come put plants in the ground in Temecula. Yeah. Well, especially you too, because you're, you're in this, you're in this midpoint in your life. Not that it's a midpoint in your life, but in this mid balance between your father and your kids, you know, and your, you, you're seeing it all, you know, yeah. you've witnessed, You've witnessed stuff with your father, and you're you're gonna witness stuff with your kid. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, it's a really special time. It's a very special time. And and the best part about it is that the whole family's in it. Yeah, my sister's my neighbor. Like I could throw a rock at my sister's front door. You know, I bought her. We our driveway. I don't even get along with mine. Our our, our driveways <laughs> awesome. literally line up. You know, so I bought her a pair of binoculars for her birthday so she could watch my TV from her front door. You know, just stuff like that. We yeah. mess with each other like that. But uh, and then he lives on the other side, you know, a few doors down from us. So it's cool, like the golf cart to grandpa's house, you know, or we can the other day, my two kids, they ride Stasix and a PW50. And we took off down the street and rode to grandpa's house, you know, and cruised through the vineyard and up to his door and said, all right, see you later. And we took off and ripped back through the vineyards and through the winery, and, you know, and so it's. You guys are living the dream, dude. It, it's it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing, and we yeah. get to play with motorcycles. And then we've been able to blend in 
the motorcycle and everybody stuff. rides the si the sisters every everybody rides everybody right? rides everybody rides and we also race which is very interesting to go and race with your own family with your wife your kid yeah that your wouldn't daughter. be competitive at all no, no. <laughs> yeah that wouldn't be competitive at all yeah. last thing uh wh where can we find you guys what wh what are your instagrams facebooks websites uh so dofowinery.com dofowinery on on the Instagram and, and Facebook channels, and then Motodofo Collection on, on Instagram. Somebody poached Motodofo, and they won't sell it to me, so it's Motodofo Collection on <laughs> on Instagram. Somebody, yeah. Can you believe somebody poached me I, early on, dude? Like, they I, snagged I, I, it. It's just some random, and they, they won't respond yeah, to anything. And they won't and, respond. And I've trademarked it, and even Instagram won't, won't they, give they it. They won't honor it. They won't give it to me. Yeah. So, all good. Motodofo, yeah, I, I, Motodofo I, Collection. I got a domain like that that they just won't release, <laughs> Fuckers. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Until you. Until next time. Thank you.